Hi, my name is Ujjwal. I am founder of Wellness. sites celebrate unicorn valuations of startups but what we really need to celebrate is when a startup generates a healthy return of investment for its investors and founders in this episode of the founder thesis podcast your host akshay dat is talking with ujwal jain the founder of the fintech startup wealth desk this episode is a celebration of a founder who raised less than 5 million dollars and got acquired by a major fintech unicorn for 75 million dollars Wealthdesk is one of its kind platform that on the one hand helps retail investors to access high quality advice and on the other hand allows financial advisors to scale up their revenues. Listen on and if you like such insightful conversations with disruptive startup founders then do subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app. so i did my engineering in computer science and i was always fascinated about working at the computer science and capital markets because that the seeds of that interest or purpose was was sown way back when i was in school when i used to look at markets because my father used to trade a lot and i used to see how market prices went from back pages of newspaper to news feeds on news channels and then to on our mobile phones so i always looked at technology is driving all of that change and i started programming in very early class 7 Seventh grade, so I was clear that I want to take up science and do and finally get a computer science seat in engineering and then eventually join a capital market focused business. So that clarity was coming up gradually. Obviously, it was not that clear, but that intent was becoming clear. The passion was coming out well. So after my engineering, I joined a Wall Street hedge fund, D Shaw. Fortunately, it's run by computer scientists. So D Shaw is one of the technologically advanced hedge fund based out of New York. So I was fortunate enough to join that. hedge fund which completely learned with a computer science mindset right from like fund management to investor relations and i was part of the treasury team there and we were building ended up building in a post crisis when treasury became a very critical function so i was involved building the core treasury platform which has a renewed focus post financial crisis in 2009 that's when i joined what is treasury and why did it become important post financial crisis so most of the hedge funds actually they, they trade in markets for in their different fund structure through prime brokers and prime brokers when a very dedicated there's a very comprehensive margin agreements around which their portfolios are margined in the sense how much money you need to put to trade a particular instrument so this prime brokerage agreements which are called margin counterparty margin agreements these are bonded by prime brokers because they are the taking the risk of the fund instruments portfolio so what a smart hedge fund does like a typical of dsh scale they also mimic this margin agreement that they are in so that they know their incremental capital cost when they are trading with these prime brokers or when they are through this prime brokers when they route their trading their securities so they know what is the incremental capital they have to deploy and that becomes a very critical function to create alpha at the strategy level at the fund management level what is the need for a margin if i buy a stock then that money is going out from my account now if i buy let's say 1 million dollars worth of twitter stock One million dollars goes out from my account. What is this margin? No, no, no. So typically, in, in a prime brokerage relationship, especially with the hedge fund, when you buy a one million dollar worth of stock, you need not buy give one million dollars. So you can put, let's say, X percent, and the remaining is funded by the broker. And we are just talking about here. You are just talking about Twitter stock. Imagine complex listed options, futures, over the counter securities, which are modeled synthetically. Margining for these are very complex. For example, you can hedge a U.S. portfolio with, let's say, another developer. Looping economies. portfolio so that hedging would give you capital advantage from a margining point of view so globally hedge funds have very complex margin agreements with their counterparties where even margin of these portfolios you give at a global level and the prime brokers ensure the regulatory margin requirement at different exchanges for example there's what there's something called span margin it's a regulated requirement to put it at the exchange level for individual accounts and like what whichever account is trading so all that uh, prime brokers take care with a for a hedge fund prime broker regulation so as a hedge fund what you do is You try to optimize your capital through when you are investing because they use leverage also as a very important factor to create alpha. So, just explaining with an example, like if I can get exposure to one million of Twitter stock by just putting in hundred thousand dollars, then that my return on that hundred thousand dollars will be much higher because if Twitter moves by one percent. That one percent will become ten x because I am just putting one tenth of that one million. So, which is why this is important for a hedge fund. 
Correct. Correct. And hedge funds, when they build their strategies, leverage is one important factor because for a limited investment amount, mitigating their risk across all portfolios, they amplify their returns by using leverage very aggressively. And prime brokers provide that services by bringing complex margin increments which you can use to fund these portfolios. And that is managed by Treasury. So it sits at the middle of front office, middle office backup. And post prices became important because prime brokers were going through their liquidity crisis, right? So they wanted to increase margins and all that. But if your agreements are well sorted out, what margin they should expect, you can reconcile well and you are at the, you can still continue to protect your capital. So it becomes important. So interestingly, after 2013, RCCM, entity got spawned from D-Shop, where they independently opened this treasury platform for other hedge funds. So imagine how technologically advanced this fund D-Shop is, that they ended up creating a new business as a technology business platform business for providing treasury platform to others. So I was part of that culture. This would have been spun off like a SaaS business. Yes, yes. If you go and look at RCCM, it's a, it's a pl- platform service to other instruments. Now, within Dishaw, there was an opportunity to actually move to Bombay for where the Dishaw was going into a JV with the Reliance Industries, where the idea was to deploy Reliance Treasury money with Dishaw's fund management expertise into Indian markets. That's when I came to Bombay. First, we used to do prop trading. Then we ended up doing institutional brokerage business. And that's when I got ex- proprietary trading in this and using the Treasury capital to deploy in markets across different strategies. And that is the time when actually I got exposed to Indian capital markets as a professional, like knowing Indian markets so closely from a business standpoint. And that's when my sense was that there's a massive market opportunity in India to build as a computer science guy to create great businesses, whether it is proprietary trading, whether it is brokerage business, whether it is wealth management, whatever it is, it is a very good play. And not just B2C, even B2B also you can do great things. So that was the confidence I got when I looked at Indian markets closely. And in between, we used that the JV was shut down for some reasons. And then I was asked to move back to the treasury platform business, which we spawned of. But I decided to stay back in Bombay. And like again, a fortunate moment for us, I got immediately I got an opportunity with the with the MSCI. They are the Leading index provider in the world. So they actually. Morgan Stanley. Yeah, Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley Capital Intervention. Now it is called MSCI only. So they are the leading index providers. And index business is very different from hedge fund business. So hedge funds are very actively managed portfolios. While if you are building an index, you are passively creating a role based strategy, tracking an index, which can be used by any fund to create ETS. For example, iShares, Vanguards of the world do it. So I, dis- I saw that there's a good opportunity to look at passive side. But again, passive businesses, especially index and businesses, are again very heavily on tech because you are building everything on a technology platform, the rules, engines, everything runs on technology. So I joined that business and I could got exposed to passive business. Fortunately, I was part of launching some of the most modern, sophisticated indices around factor investing, smart beta, uh, carbon credits, low ESG indices and all. And does MSCI offer indices on Indian market or are these for global market products? Like in India, it's NSC 500, BSC. These are the uh, indices, right? Correct. So actually, MS, MSCI has a global index in which India index is also part of that. So that's called Jimmy index. It is, if you look at all the passive money globally that gets put in, deployed into Indian markets, most of them comes to MSCI index only, which is tracking India at a global level. So that's the global part of it. The Indian part of it, I think custom Indian indices has been launched by MSCI, but not that big because NSC, BSC predominantly drive that market, especially AMCs tend to open launch funds on, on exchange indices right now because they are well known and, and good good domestic view around Indian market. Recognized brands. Yeah. So when I was in MSCI, that's when I actually started making Indian brokers and wealth management firms, AMCs, and tried to understand the Indian landscape like what could be done with a very long-term view because there's a massive market opportunity not just the short term but the long term you can build great businesses out of india completely technology led and interestingly at that point i saw some green shoes one is that uh, zerosa was driving the entire broking play led by technology which was a completely different perspective of how a broker on a, in a bombay would look like versus how zerosa was doing it i could sense that from a computer science mindset the second was sebi came up with their first regulation around investment advisory in 2013 which was around driving a product distribution in india under advisory model versus distribution model now just to give you some sense what it means is that if you buy a mutual fund or invest in a stock, you most likely you will not don't pay anything for that because there's some commission that the distributor is getting in the back end. So there's a this is called distribution model. Versus if I send you that I will recommend you this product or I will 
provide value in your account. You pay me a fee, but I won't make any money on the tail side or the commission side. So that transition or that phase started with the RIA regulations where Selby was clear that eventually in the client interest advisory should scale up faster that distribution. And India largely, even today, there's a large market led run by under distribution model versus advisory. So I realized that mutual funds will continue to penetrate under distribution model because penetration itself is the problem. One quick recap. The distribution model, funnily, these people who are distributors are called financial advisors, right? Yeah. That, so I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners. So when you buy mutual funds through a financial advisor, which means like it could be a bank employee or someone you know, then he is earning some commission, which is not transparent. You are not aware of it. Whereas in the advisory model, there is a money manager, say it could also be a app. I'm sure there could be some apps which charge you a fixed amount. Say, I think ET Money has this now. They've lost the product here. So they charge an amount of fees for giving you the right advice on what to invest in and update, giving you updated advice on a regular basis. And do they also provide execution support or they just are an advisor? No, so you can provide, as part of your advisor, you can provide execution support, but there has to be a very non-conflict way of making money from the customers so on one side. The transparency should be there. The, the, they should not be some... It's complete disclosure. Yeah. So I realized that while mutual fund penetration is the problem, so distribution is key. So it will continue to expand. While if I look at a five, 10 year view, there's a massive opportunity to build a technology stack. Wherein on one side, you bring in advisors who can create portfolios for different demographics, investment strategies and all, and market segments. And on the distribution side, if you could take, extend how a open broking would look like where you can integrate with a broker's trading app. If you connect, interconnect this entire value chain, so from product creation to the execution in the client account, we are talking about parallel to mutual fund or different investment instrument available to retail investor and advisory, which is broader portfolio, what we call as wealth baskets. So that technology we started building back. So when I quit my job in 2016 March, I started building it from 2016 onwards. And in 2018, we first launched the platform. So what we are essentially as a platform, we are a B2B2C platform. But the B2B, we enable portfolio managers, semi-licensed entities who can manage portfolio, who can do advisory and research. They come, they create platform portfolios on our vendors business platform. It's a SaaS platform. And on the distribution side, what we do, we open this consumer challenge inside the broker's app or even outside also where you can log in with the broker. Where customer can discover these portfolios under advisory and or research model, and they can pay a fee and invest in these portfolios. And this model portfolio category is something which we have enabled in the B2B2C segment. So, parallel to mutual funds and PMS under advisory, for the first time, retail investors can get into managed portfolios on broking. So the shift at the broking level is like this. When you open a broking account or when you're an existing broking customer, most likely you do transactional, transactional you invest in stocks at different times and exit. Typically, most of the people are not well versed when to enter, when to exit specific stocks and time the market right. What happens is after a point, they end up exiting the winners very quickly or having losers for a long time. And that's why most of the broking accounts, especially investor side, they get dormant after a while because they burn their fingers because they don't know how to make systematically money. But the same customer would have done reasonably well in mutual fund space because he invested in the right fund managed by a smart fund manager. So on broking for the first time, if you open this managed portfolio to a retail investor, what is happening is that the same customer who were, instead of finding stocks, investing in managed portfolios, which are managed by people who know how to do it and replicate the underlying portfolio so you're still in their own broking account, so they know hold the underlying stock which they want to. But and gradually in that portfolio, whenever there is a change, manager makes it, you get the update on a one-touch approval by sale to do it. And systematically, you are getting into a portfolio-based investing strategy in broking. That is very important in India because as broking gets commoditized and gets to a larger Indian retail community, it is very important to create a category of investing in the broking so that the people eventually make wealth systematically like they would do in a mutual fund because if you look at ultra segment pms portfolio management services all ai category threes these are all portfolio based strategies which is only available to 50 lakh one crore plus ticket size customers retail investors cannot have that product because they can't have that much of capital to deploy imagine democratizing that capability with that kind of offering at a retail investing investor level through a wellness platform. That is what we are powering. And because of platform play, you can scale this at a very effective way and make sure superlative well solutions are available to retail investor on broking. So that's the vision we are working and building this platform. Okay. So let me again break it down a bit. So you, what you're saying is that most 
investors who open a zero the account end up becoming inactive after a couple of months because they are not professional investors and so they will face some loss and because of which they will get demotivated and they go inactive after some duration so really like that retail uh, that retail level investment is not a mass market product it's for people who have the time and the patience to learn study and continuously follow news about stocks so on and so forth and for people who make money they are people who are hnis who use a portfolio manager who is able to do all this work of tracking stocks and deciding what to buy when to buy what to sell when to sell and so on and so forth so you have made it possible for a regular retail investor who's not an hni to get access to that kind of sophisticated portfolio manager who is constantly researching and taking decisions about what to buy what to sell when to buy when to sell and so forth and the way you're doing this is the the advisor the portfolio manager can create a model portfolio on Welldesk and he can continuously update that model portfolio and that gets connected. And as a retail investor, I can subscribe to any of the model portfolios available there. Maybe these model portfolios could be based around some theme, like it could be, for example, tech or digital or so on and so forth. So based on the theme, based on the reputation of the portfolio manager, I could subscribe to a particular portfolio and therefore then it becomes passive investing for me it is almost like investing in a mutual fund because in a mutual fund also it's the same you put in money and a mutual fund manager is doing that but here there is more flexibility and or like what is the difference between investing in a mutual fund and investing in a or subscribing to a portfolio from a Welltesk portfolio manager? Yeah, so from a wealth basket, if you invest in a modern portfolio or a wealth basket, the fact is the underlying stocks stays with you in your booking account. So you have complete transparency of the underlying stocks, which is, and you, while in case of mutual fund, you invest in the fund, while the underlying constituent, you get to see the disclosures every month. But you are investing in that fund, while in our broking, your objective is to get directly exposure to these companies. So model portfolio or wealth basket ensures that continue to follow fund structure or a portfolio structure, but the underlying stocks are with you in your DMAT account. So that's one thing. So complete trust. That's just a technical difference. Now, as an investor, the color of money is green always. It doesn't matter. So what's up? Yeah, so the other thing is, the, the other important thing is that you, so for the kind of portfolios accessibility to a model portfolio versus a mutual fund actually are very different. So for example, today when we look at and people say, should I do wealth baskets or mutual funds or should I do both? The idea is very simple. You continue to do your mutual fund, but you open a broker account with some investment objectives, right? You want to get exposure to some specific sectors, themes or stocks or segments for which you might not be an equivalent mutual fund also. So for these nuanced exposures, what people are doing is they are investing in these managed portfolios of smart managers around, let's say, as you rightly said, tech, digital, so these are thematics, even some sectoral sectors. And this one interesting trend we are seeing is ETF investing. So if you look at individual ETFs like a Nifty 50 ETF or a Nifty Next 50 or a Midcap or a US ETF like a NASDAQ or an S&P, individual ETFs, you can go and invest and track money on deploy that and that you do for broking. But when the same ETFs gets into different wealth baskets around, let's say you want to create a portfolio around India, US or gold and equity, those weighing schemes that by smart managers, when you get into portfolios, the underlying ETFs are scientifically weighted and different, different market conditions, the weight keeps changing, tilting in the right way, keeping the macro economy and micro economy as what manager decide. You tend to outperform the individual ETFs performance and that is a very that we are seeing that ETF and baskets are creating a new portfolio construction strategy available at retail investment level using the simple ETFs which can create systematic wealth for you at a very nominal cost. So those kind of stuff you can do a parallel to mutual fund. So in the overall asset allocation as a retail investor, you open a broker account to get exposure to stocks ETFs instead of doing directly where you are not smart enough to follow till the end getting this managed portfolio the right way. While you continue to invest in a future fund from a long-term strategy, like some the funds that you know are current to the better. So it's a it's a coexisting market. And the other thing is the liquidity liquidity wise, you can withdraw money from these wealth baskets anytime. So real time redeem redemption is there. So always there for you. So that flexibility is always there. Okay. So there is this concept called portfolio theory, which basically says that investing in multiple non-correlated set of assets will earn you more in the long term than just doubling down on one single asset. Like you, you invest in a company which makes umbrellas and you also invest in a company which makes caps. For On sunny days, caps will sell, on rainy days, umbrellas will sell. So you are diversifying. 
So the same thing now you are saying is the reason why somebody would choose a wealth basket for more diversity. Whereas a traditional mutual fund will say offer you only exposure to India or more generically say mid caps or uh, small cap and so on. But in the wealth basket, you could get something which is exposing you to say India and US, as you said, or India equity plus commodity like gold, you give an example. So that that is something which can give you more benefits in, in the long term. So that is one reason. And the second reason is mutual funds, you cannot have, say, thousands of mutual funds around different themes, but you can have thousands of wealth baskets around different themes. Somebody was to just say that, okay, I believe insurance is the next big thing. So you can have a wealth basket, which is around insurance only, but you can't have a mutual fund, which is focused on insurance. So that long tail, more options, that is the other thing which basket gives. Correct. Because yeah, mutual funds are created with a very larger objective to create mass retail product. So if when it comes to concentrated exposure, nuanced exposure, or very innovative portfolios, that can come through wealth baskets. And one other trend that we are seeing on our platform, the PMS firms who were only ticket serving the ultra HNI HNI segment or family offices, they are realizing there is a there's a mass affluent retail building up and they can't access 50 lakh one road, but still they can manage the smaller ticket size portfolio. So these premium managers are not the to retail because through platforms they can open these smart portfolios to retail investors and that is a democratization in true sense where you are bringing significantly better wealth portfolios to the retail investor so that retail investors wants it but he cannot access it now he can access it because the ticket size is the problem so that is also for a like a talented portfolio manager the previous option was to focus on big ticket uh, or like the big fish uh, because you earn more there. Like you would rather want somebody who can give you one crore than somebody who will give you one lakh because you earn more there. But with this product, by creating portfolio on wealth basket, he can actually get 1,000 investors who are each putting in one lakh each uh, because his he doesn't need to personally do the servicing. That client servicing, the time investment it is completely gone now. Got it. Okay. The heavy lifting is done by the platform to facilitate this entire value chain. While on both sides, the regulated entity is one regulated entity who is creating the portfolio, the other regulated entity which is executing in the client's account. So all they are interconnected in an interoperable tech. And actually, if you look at our current vision, what we are calling ourselves is the unified wealth interface on top of broking slash transaction platform. We are bringing all these stakeholders into an interoperable tech layer. One party is doing portfolio construction or they are the value creators and the other party is ensuring that value gets into your account. And this entire pipe is what we are building as a platform in investment. What are the assets covered under wealth baskets? You said exposure to gold. How would that happen? So gold ETFs. So okay, gold ETFs. Okay. Yeah, right now the instruments are telling assets on which you, the manager can create portfolios is stocks and ETFs. We are in the process to even bringing, by the way, mutual funds also in next year, where you can package mutual funds, well baskets also, because there's a reason for that. If you look at the ultra HNI segment, most of the ultra HNI of a guy with a huge amount of purpose, when they invest, right, even the mutual funds are not looked in isolation. You look at a bunch of mutual funds with defined weights in the overall asset allocation. Retail investors look at still look at individual mutual funds. He might end up doing a tax saver, he might doing a large cap, he might end up doing a mid cap, or without any scientific reason, with the scientific reason also in some places. So what idea is that even these advisors can package these mutual funds also in a very scientific way for different investment objectives and open it to retail investors. So that also becomes a wealth basket. So packaging layer at the wealth basket is about what you rightly said is to bring that multi-asset value to the retail investor with efficient execution, which is a very heavy problem to solve, large and complex problem. But that's the journey we are going through as a platform. I would have thought mutual fund would be easy to do. There are so many apps offering you to sale purchase of mutual fund and all. Like, why is mutual fund coming in so late? Actually, good point. Actually, at some point, if I would have started packaging platform technology to package mutual funds, bunch of mutual funds into a portfolio and open it to retail industry it was an easier problem to solve. But we took the difficult problem because advisory-led portfolio construction and retail investors using direct stocks in India was a challenging and it was a very critical need of the market. When it comes to broking account, you are talking about direct stock and ETF exposure. So important to bring that portfolio. And then mutual fund. So mutual fund is not a challenge. It's a journey which we'll bring him down. Got it. Uh, mutual fund is very me too. If you would have started with that, you would have been facing like 
companies like say deserve and uh, all these which are like have raised a fair amount of funding and all of that such companies are actually not our competitor they are actually our partner because see as a platform enabler we work with every stakeholder in the country like on the manager side or on the execution side so technically all our partners how is deserve your partner so technically deserve can actually for example deserve for that matter any other mutual fund platforms can come now on a plug and play can package portfolios and open it to their investor and they focus on their core competency which is portfolio conception asset allocation and all that so as a platform enabler we are trying to become a heavy lifters of this entire value chain and each party can be their own mutual exclusive strengths and join them which means that everybody is your partner so but deserve is doing both right they are acquiring customers on the one hand so they are building that capability plus they are saying we will manage your wealth for you what part are you saying like you're saying that they will offer wealth management to more people or they will allow their customers to for this would be that let's say they hold an RIA license assuming so they can they can continue to acquire channel independently through their own network for example a company like this but they can acquire more customers through you know to the network because of that is fundamental to platform businesses right the portfolio manager to our platform and open their advisory portfolios there's an ever expanding distribution channel being created because we are integrating this every divide of through broken partnerships so on board side it's like when a seller comes on amazon he doesn't need to care about i will serve only mumbai and maharashtra for example he can serve the entire pin codes of the pin so platform network effect is something which is core to our business model got it what about exposure to global market? Okay, say uh, exposure to US market and all. So right now we have realized that there's a lot of good stuff happening to open global markets to retail investors in a very frictionless and at a cost-effective way. That's a very important part when it comes to retailizing global markets to Indian investors. So as that happens, which is a matter of time, it's happening. Even the good part is Gift City will open depository receipts where you can easily invest through. existing broking channels so that's a journey which is happening on the transactional side what we are eventually right now focusing is that most of the critical global exposure can be very well done even today with etfs and when mutual funds come they already have feeder funds right so so that's the journey how we take taking but eventually let's say a good efficient low cost frictionless way of exposing directly to stocks and etfs in global markets we'll open that channel as and when the market is right you saying currently you can get global exposure through etf how is that for example there are a bunch of listed etfs in india which gives you exposure to nasdaq s&p for example and it's far more comprehensive where you have feeder funds for you global many of the global countries okay okay got it, got it. so you're saying essentially right now what you can offer is only something which a customer can buy on a zerodha or any of the broking apps and right now these apps don't offer people to for example directly buy twitter stock therefore uh, you cannot really offer that as an asset class uh, and but that is in process like it will uh, eventually that is not even we can directly integrate with somebody who opens global market but we are not taking that path because even with that journey there is a cost there's a friction there's no point doing something just for the sake of doing right we need to do it it's not mainstream yet yeah yeah and anyways you can get the right asset allocation exposure see leave the adrenaline rush of that okay i need to hold a tesla stock or a twitter stock versus i need to have exposure to us tech stocks there's a way to do that with the current universe so that's how we are looking at it right the platform in april and even our managers and broker understand that so they believe in that model now you said the fundamental advisory model is you pay a fixed fees how does that money transfer happen from the from a user to a portfolio manager who's created a model portfolio on wealth desk so there are two touch points so one is the manager collects fee on the portfolio when you invest so that collects collection happen directly from the customer to the manager okay which means he's telling his existing customers that i have created this way for you to subscribe to my services just pay me and you can subscribe through zero then probably there'll be some coupon code or something which he will give to his customers or how will it up yeah and the like you want to promote more at a very cost effective so that's a campaign part of it but yeah the fee collection happens from the customer to the manager and then you invest regularly like how would you do it so with your broker in the underlying portfolio by putting the broking account and executing the your booking account so that is one way direct collection what is the other way if a zero da user uh, discovers this concept and wants to subscribe to a portfolio yeah so our platform strategy is very simple so as a manager when you come and create your portfolio there are three channels available one is 
on a broking app your customers can discover these portfolios broking customers can discover these portfolios by inside the broker's app and they can invest pay a fee and invest in these portfolios they will pay the fees to wealthdesk how is that fees fee directly to the manager through the payment manager there's a flow through which they pay directly to the manager okay okay so, so you're not coming in between there but if zerodai is integrated yeah we are a technology service provider in that value chain so we enable those gateways and all and but um, the whole journey is like my customer pays to the manager so just to clarify first way is that inside the broker's app your portfolio gets discovered and customer can invest in it the second is like a shopify we open a direct consumer sites as an enabler for the manager for their portfolio to get discovered so through these direct to consumer channels the manager's portfolio gets discovered and customer can invest again from that same channel and by logging in with broker like a payment gateway and executing their stocks by going through that that's a payment gateway kind of journey which we power it through our vendors gateway so that is the directly to the manager like a shopify so that's it and third obviously in these portfolios are discoverable in different distribution channels where customers are coming to find right products and stuff for example we just going live with a full service bank who are very big on wealth in india they are going into retail so we are opening they are opening multi asset products including mutual funds bonds and direct stock they are based portfolio so we are powering that journey there you are open architecture on manager side these distributors where they open these different managers and open architecture on the broker side where you can log in with any broker and invest in these portfolios like you how would you invest in the mutual funds of different amcs so that kind of things are being created on our platform Okay, interesting. Interesting. So, in the Shopify product, basically, the wealth manager gets a custom domain uh, which he can circulate. Say, if I'm a if I'm an influencer on YouTube, then I can share a link with my followers that uh, follow my strategies, and that link can be powered by Wealthdesk, basically. Yeah. The only disclaimer that whoever is that financial influencer, he should be semi-licensed. Yes. Uh, right, obviously, yeah. So that would be part of your onboarding process, right? You would make sure that yeah, as a platform enabler, we only onboard semi-registered intermediaries. So that is a very specific process to get. You you would do that KYC to make sure that they have have the license. So KYC is a very regulated word. We do the onboarding checks, screenings, and then the onboard. And anyways, the distributing party is regulated. The the manager is regulated. So they it naturally fits the platform journeys in charge that. They are only separate to different things. Got it. Okay. So I understood what the managers are getting out of this deal. What are the distribution apps getting out of this deal? You gave two separate examples. One is Zerodha. One is this bank, which is getting into retail. Tell me what what is in it for them. Yeah. So from a broking standpoint, it is very simple, right? So today your core business models are built around transactions, right? And as industry moves, uh, where you want to provide right value to your client account to make money versus trying to increase transaction volumes to increase your business, so we are going transactional led broking to more value or advisory led broking. There, these portfolios fit really well with customers are getting the right advice. And from your business standpoint, you continue to make transactional businesses, but epicent or the core is still advisory. So versus just focusing only on transaction. So that shift ensures you continue to make good business, but the value proposition is more towards client, which is getting the right advice. Yeah, your customers are stickier. So that's if you go back to the original thing that I told about the 2013 RI regulations. Now we are in 2022. So that journey we are picking up, right? So that's one. The second thing is on the broking. As I told you, that dormant active inactive accounts get fast, go fast. So now immortality rates, stickiness is coming, but they systematically are making it a very smart managed portfolio, and that's the right approach to actually investing in markets. So brokers are managers get the right and client who is actually ready to pay you for the right advice. And from a broking standpoint, your customers are getting serious about their wealth management at the broking level. So yeah. So what does a broker need to do to get wealth baskets on their platform? Do they does the trading happen in an automated way? If I subscribe to a basket through Zerodha. then every time the basket is updated the key reason why i would subscribe is because i want somebody to actively manage so actively manage means that there would be some update by this sell this so does that happen through an automated way no so as per advisory regulation when you invest in a portfolio you need to give an approval for the underlying execution and you, it is on your basically and you decide which broker you want to execute with so that's one the second is if for following rebalancing updates you get notifications from the managers through the platform you go to your broker lock in and do a one touch approval so that is not automated because that's not allowed okay and this is a regulatory reason that you can't automate this yes 
See, otherwise, see, there's a clear, parallel debate going in the industry around elbow trading. SEBI is very clear that elbow trading to retail investors should be under the right framework protection. And one of the reasons is that these automated strategies are there, which does not fit to the regulatory guidelines in a right way. So that's always a debatable point from a portfolio, model portfolio baskets point of view when it comes to retail investors. Every trade they have to go under consent-based approvals and through their own choice of broker and login. So as per the regulatory guidelines. Say, uh, I gave you the example of ET Money, which also offers this advisory service. They charge 200 rupees a month and, uh, for portfolio management. Uh, is it automated there or there also you have to manually balance? You have to manage any balance whenever there is one. Every balance, yeah, following the right regulatory guidelines, it will be always one touch up. Okay. And the difference between what ET Money is doing is essentially they are building both paths together. Like they're saying that we will do portfolio management through research and all, but we will also acquire customers directly. And what you're doing is you're bringing in stakeholders for each of these parts separately. Like you are disintermediating this in a way. Not disintermediate is not the right word, but you're... Yes. So, yeah. So, for us... Yes, or any such use case can take the same portfolio and open to network through our instead of directly acquiring, they can also go into network effects or platform. Okay. So how does wealth desk earn? So we for the because as a platform enabler, because we enable this entire value chain, we take a platform fee for this from the manager and a platform fee token. Okay. Is, is it a fixed fee or is it per transaction or how is it priced? Whenever there's a transaction being processed to our platform, we like typically how payment gateway charges, right? And there's a processing fee or a big Give me an example. Like For example, if a manager is collecting a fee or ensuring a subscription of a mail basket through our platform, let's say they make, make let's say, 100 rupees, we take, let's say, 30 rupees or 20 rupees processing fee. And what about when they are updating? No, when they are updating, there's no charge. It's only when there's a fresh money or a fresh fee being collected from the customer. So you are only taking from subscription, the that advisory fees, that is, you're taking a cut from that. That's it. You're not taking a cut on, on trading, on updates. All of those are like, those are not things that you're taking a cut from. No, no, not yet. So on the broking, we take a transaction fee that can process through the broker on these portfolios, which is again linked as a platform fee. Well, give me an example of that, what you take from the broker. So broker, when we open the technology, so on a broker, we put a very, it's a very deep integration because we need to integrate with their broking engines, right? Place orders to get it from the and manage the entire platform dedicatedly for that broker as a consumer channel. So for that entire thing, we save it for every well basket transaction that we process to you. We give us a flat fee or, or something. So that's the platform fee that we take from broker. Now, what is a well basket transaction here? Are you talking of subscription transaction or even balancing? So just subscription transaction. If there's any fresh money that gets invested through well basket or rebalancing, we for the next regular updates on a, because on a broking channel there's a transaction being processed we we used to charge transaction fee but now what we are doing is that we are keeping it simple from a broking standpoint that when you pay for when you somebody infused cap fresh capital into the portfolio adds money to the broking then only we charge a transaction fee to the broker okay but uh, although most of these broking apps have zero brokerage now, this is zero that will not charge will not earn anything from you when you invest they learn only when you sell. They don't earn anything when you buy. But in this case, you're saying that whenever a customer buys, then I will charge. That's an evolving question that we are having with brokers. I mean, they understand that we provide, we are the platform heavy lifters to drive this value chain. So what's the right business economics for the broker? So it's a work in progress. Basically, for a broker, even though when someone is investing 1 lakhs, they're not paying anything to zero that today, but that one lakh will eventually get rebalanced, it will get sold, and that is where then zero that will start earning. There is a long-term earning for it, so therefore they are happy to pay you every time you increase their assets under management. Correct. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's an evolving landscape. Like all the, everybody that I see, finally, at the end of the day, what the good part of this whole problem statement is that the end customers are being looked very holistically to add value to their accounts, whether it's from a manager standpoint or from a broker standpoint. And if that customer immortality rate increases from a broker standpoint, so as you rightly said, it's a long-term plan of action. So both the parties are understanding. See, as a platform, we have we incur a heavy cost to deploy such massive platform technology and such massive volume. So 
we need to run a sustainable business. Okay. How do you ensure that a broking partnership is leading to convergence? Say you integrate with Zeroda. How do you ensure that integration is leading to convergence? People are actually discovering and signing up. That real revenue is happening. How do you ensure that? Because Zeroda could put it in some corner. Say the Paytm app, there are like literally probably a thousand products that you can explore over there that you would only see maybe top 10 products. That's a good, actually, that's a problem. Like a lot of brokers come with this thing called marketplace of apps or different products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We already are talking about 7,000 stock universe, which are so crowded for a retail investor. Now there's another 100 apps. You need to discover some might be overlapping. So generally what we have seen, and this is purely based on the platform statistics, the brokers who have understood that portfolio investing is a core value proposition to my investor, community, like how I enabled direct stocks, FNO, community, currency, and model portfolios. I looked like this as a category and they have integrated wellness platform in their journeys and they've opened into their customers to understand what a portfolio-based investing could do to your lives. There, we are seeing a very good growth. And which are these? Mostly, I'm not named specific brokers because I work with so many brokers, but full service brokers, regional brokers, discount brokers who have done that right across all segments, high ticket size, lower ticket size, who have actually made this as a core value proposition to their investor community. They are seeing the benefits that investors are seeing the benefits, brokers are seeing the benefits, and managers are getting the assets. What are the top three brokers from where you get traffic, from where you get subscribers? Uh, biggest traffic drivers have been full service brokers where the customers are actually well informed. Give me example what is a full service full service broker like for example i have just not named specifics but maybe let's say an anand rati or a moti lal of the world on the is securities the ifls and the access securities of the world the world customer knowledge is a big they know they want to invest in right products we see good good traction on those platforms Okay, okay, got it. These traditional firms, these are full service brokers. No, even we work with discount brokers also, where we are part of the poor offering. Actually, case is more difficult for customers who are first time into market. And they eventually tend to go wrong quickly and they become a dormant. So they are, and many of the new accounts, you know, the growth has been higher on the discount booking, online only brokers. So there, this portfolio is not packaged like another app offering or a marketplace offering versus core value proposition in the journeys where what is the best get into direct stocks and ETFs and they get these right portfolios of stocks or ETF. There we are seeing that incremental money that the customer is putting into these portfolios is increasing and he's more confident about investing. So that is definitely even on discount bookings. Right now you have got product market fit, right? What are the indicators which tell you have got product market fit? What numbers do you track? Full factor, say the top managers want to be on the platform to serve the retail community and brokers are coming to us directly. Give me some numbers also, no? like how many managers are there? What is the monthly signups? And... So number of managers actually, we tend to actually keep it low in terms of because of our screening criteria, what has happened? We just focus on corporate entities, managers history and all that. So that means that number does not grow like a SaaS business. So we are a low number does not mean you are not doing right. Low number would mean that the, it's highly curated. The basic checks ensures that you have a finite market on there. Anyways, if you look at some of the numbers that I think only have only thirteen hundred registered entities who can advise and all. So not small, big number given the scale of India. So that number is anyway small. On the broking side, what is happening is that smaller smaller brokers, regional brokers. Big brokers, bank-based brokers, full-service brokers, discount brokers, all are coming to us that we want to integrate the platform into our core offering. And that's a natural thing that we're seeing as a business, which means that we're doing something right for the entities. Investor level awareness is picking up as a category to look at how you could look at mutual funds, how would you look no direct stock investing, how you should invest in modern portfolios. That awareness is picking up. This Slightly better with highly aware customers across broking, uh, broking segments where they have opened a demand account before and they know how they would have done wrong things which they would try to avoid by getting into product portfolio. So there, there's an organic growth happening. First time investors going through the journey with the right intent that it's better to start with the portfolio than to do direct stock. So that awareness is building up and it all culminates into a good, decent growth story. We, the numbers to track from a manager point is how much assets you are like, and we're getting across all parts. Assets under management. Assets under advisory. Yeah. And from a broking standpoint. Assets under advisory. Okay. Broking standpoint, you might just look at what's the kind of DMAT account assets that are being 
coming into your booking through these portfolios. But you've not shared any numbers with me so far. Like, what are your assets under advisory? Or what? Or what? I think the last month, I think the September closing, we must have somewhere on I think twelve hundred or thirteen hundred crores of AUA at the platform level. And how many paying subscribers and customer or investor? We only have fee-based customers at the platform. They are free. They are not free. Some portfolios which by some managers which are free, but that's not a big number for us. I don't know the exact number. But how many customers? Like how many investors? So we might have a lakh plus customers on across our platform. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Okay, got it. Cool. That gives me a good idea. And by the end of this year, how many brokerage apps will you be on? Like you said, there's a lot of, you're getting a lot of inbound interest. So what do you think by the end of this year? Yeah, so I think 50 plus already active works like, I think, 70. So the good part is as a platform, we have been very clear about one thing. We are not just looking at the top 10, 15 or digital first brokers. We want to expand the market to bring even small brokers into the foray because they serve a community. Because there, there's a customer who sees that booking branch and wants to open an account and they also need to be served right. So that way, the broking side, we are very clear that we want to capture a larger market in terms of market segments. So we see we see the benefits of that vision very rightly. And we also bringing in a lot of capabilities on our wellness business platform on an assisted model to make somebody understand a portfolio investing and provide them an assisted journey to get into this portfolio, more like an offline to online play. That also we are investing heavily because there's a large investor community who doesn't want to come on the app on their own and invest. Is there such a thing as an offline broker? How does that work? Like you... No, offline is more like you call your broker and they have a dealer and you say that buy this, buy that on a recorded line. There's a large market there. And even if you do online, some people call them, some designated guy and say that I want to invest in this, how does it look like? And all that, there's a, there's a touch point. See, beyond once you increase your ticket size, right? Or, and and this works on trust. Like you tell your broker, so like he'll already have money in a wallet of yours or you will send him the money? Money is still in the looking ledger. Money even... So there'll be a DMAT account which the broker is managing and that DMAT account will have money in it and the broker will run it. Yeah. Okay. 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 So that's considered our offering to online business platform technology. So what are you building there like to get these people? So to make it more efficient on this assisted journeys led by managers or brokers where customers can understand and then get into these portfolios through their in the right way. So for these offline brokers, like they would like probably recommend to a customer in person that this wealth basket product is subscribe. They recommend to in person or their customers will discover on their platform and then they will call and they will understand and then they will get into these portfolios. And then they will just call and tell the broker to update it. Or the broker will call them and say that portfolio is due for updation and uh, they, they will say yes. Uh, so they get these updates and then they can follow in both ways. They can assist and help them execute that. Yeah, got it. Tell me uh, the journey part of it now. So we've talked a lot on the product and the stakeholders in the product. How did you start? Did you start with your savings and bootstrapped it? And how, Because this is like a heavy investment in tech kind of a product, right? To build these pipes would not have been easy, I'm sure. So tell me about the journey. Yeah, actually, the interesting part in mean, down segments, we're currently going through a lot of market health. Like the bootstrap businesses are actually coming out stronger. So we started bootstrap. So I, when I started in 2016, when I actually realized that it's not a one-year, two-year growth trajectory that I can show to an investor, it's a long event. It's a vision of 10 years, for example. I bootstrapped it. You were very clear on this vision from day one or did the vision evolve? The vision was very clear in terms of the only changing moving model was the regulatory landscape keep changing. So from a journey standpoint, what who can do what, how to demarcate. For example, between 2016 and 21 change came that brokers can't be advisors or if they are advisors, they can make money on one side. So that separate segregation came in. So they are independent advisors, they are independent brokers. The good part is that the platform who are already stitching the story. So we actually been on the right side of regulation actually, or whether the platform in India. So very clear, but from day one that I we wanted to build this with a very long-term view. And interestingly, uh, if I look at the time when I started, there was a lot of VC money push around mutual fund businesses to build consumer brands and all that. Most would say that why are you not doing the mutual fund? It's an easier problem to solve, right? There's an infrastructure out there and all that. 
but it was very clear as a vision that as india expands the broking market this is inevitable the regulator would want a business like this to flourish because it said it has a good intent to make money at the retail account level so, and in a managed model so we were very clear so bootstrap it from 2016 to 2020 not easy for me because i come from a lower middle class background so that transition to think that okay you can actually build the business because you know what you're building and hardcore computer science guy i can build architect this the business with the right team so it was very clear money obviously building an ip though it is very expensive but it is not crazy for example with 5 10 crore rupees you can build a great technology over a period then compound on it take market feedback so 2016 to 18 bootstrap did for the first customer paying customer so that flywheel effect started building up cost was always low with the right team not like crazy hiring and stuff very calculated so very small team very focused objectives till 2020 when covid came in Like we have seen the flywheel effect both on the manager side, on the broker side, and we realized that some massive, massive growth. So 2020, somewhere we took a first round of funding, around 25 odd cumulative funding, crores of cumulative funding we took, and that was working really well. All good. Then at some point, as you might have heard, that phone pay has banned us recently. So again, phone pay came up with the same mindset, saying as a business. You are one of the first technology, first businesses in India who is trying to build such a heavy deep tech and well tech segment. We really value such businesses. We want to back you to build this interoperable tech pipe that you are building for the industry. And that was marriage made in heaven. So it took a while, and then joined hands. So it's very fortunate that businesses like ours started bootstrap, got the product market fit with honest intent, and then got a backing now with such institutional internet tech. Player like PhonePay, so yeah, things are going good. If you want to build business with a ten-year view, also now in India, was the decision to not take funding a choice, or was it just that you found it very hard to raise capital, and so you decided not to like? No, so actually, raising capital in sixteen seventy was was not difficult because space was picking up payment insurance, all that was getting very lending, especially. So else was anyways. You know, even today there hardly any meaningful companies doing meaningful stuff, right? Even today, it's not easy space, right? So and especially with the kind of background we had, money would not have been a challenge. But the challenge I will tell you was that if I take very high momentum, high velocity capital, right? You need to grow at that scale, and you might end up making mistakes. And building a technology first businesses, the first principle thinking is that you need to. Protect your vision, so that means that you have to make some hard choices. It is not easy. It is not easy when money is out there, right? We took that for example. Some of the most like poster companies, most of when you talked about Zerosa, for example, with Bootstrap. I mean, they would have also been able to raise capital, but they did not raise it because the kind of approach they are taking to building that business is very tech first, very long term, very market dealing. Whatever be the situation, we'll survive, we'll grow. That is something which is cultural to me, like as a founder, like they outgrew me, outpaced me, my life. That was the passion, not like raise capital, get that funding news out, and then grow. Call of duty at my level. Congratulations on the Fortpay acquisition. I believe they valued you at about fifty million dollars, which is pretty amazing, considering that you have raised only I think four five million till date before the acquisition. So. Like for the investors, it must have been a pretty good exit. Yeah. So actually, valuation numbers. I don't know where you have got it. Which, which I am going to comment on that number, this side or that side. But we have not raised. We have cumulatively raised not more than twenty-five crores. Out of which, I can tell you honestly, we have not burned even like sixty, seventy percent of that when when we were talking. So we had good burn to actually good cash money in the bank account to continue to burn the way we were burning. So the phone. Backing is largely built on the principles of building tech-first businesses and wealth. So culturally, we all are alive. Like phone pay, like Samir, Rahul, and 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 Z when we sat down and we, they told me what to back you and and it is a natural evolution for building an interoperable tech pipe. Culturally, we understand tech-first business. So patient capital and continuous long-term vision is fundamental. So that connected well with phone pay. So that's that's where we are today. I would have thought that a broking. Company would find you more appealing as a acquisition. Phonepay doesn't offer broking, right? Like, how would Phonepay leverage this for their customer base? Phonepay today, if you look at it, Phonepay have a well business in the form of mutual fund distribution, and they Phonepay will have its own plans around well space eventually. 
and as a platform what phone pay values is the fact that building interoperable tech or something like a unified wealth interface vision of the booking layer is a very strong very institutional very india focused play that which is largely technology led and they value that vision very well so that's and wellness can grow very very well on its own so that's something which would be understand as an investor or as a backer so obviously they will use the platform for their investment companies like a regular partner the fact is by the way upset wealth management is now being talked like can there be an internet scale wealth management playing in india platform like ours what does that mean internet scale in the sense that can you bring wealth management kind of offering to a retail investors in, in millions of accounts that was not there transactionally we are there like broking is now there right so how a platform like ours the core strength and the vision is built on those principles so and phone pay is a natural backer where they are internet scale thinkers so yeah so, okay god they are not looking at like an immediate monetization through their customer base but they are looking at this as a long term play that this is the kind of business that they would like to be in basically yeah don't want to comment on the evolution of how that business of one pay will work out but as purely from a backing point of view there's nothing to do with the phone pay side of thing but more to do with wellness vision is pretty pretty solid from a long term point of view So what do you think you'll be doing 10 years from now post acquisition a lot of founders then after a year or two or three would look at a second inning and what's in the pipeline for you actually if you look at it the second inning within this business has just started like the kind of opportunity that i could see for next five years actually i couldn't see five years before what do you see like the five year opportunity what are some of those things which are making you excited so one of the things is obviously has there will be many retail investors who for a better wealth management solution they pay and if you are a platform enabler in that segment there's a massive market to build up the second is in the entire value chain there like there's a massive innovation happening to make transactions more efficient onboarding more efficient i just heard like there's a change in it act to even allow digital poa power of attorney which means onboarding gets more seamless at the booking level see government is also doing very exciting things i i cannot imagine if you are an interoperable tech by connecting stakeholders in the ecosystem regulators doing so many great things around onboarding account aggregator and a bunch of things but the opportunities in massive out in india so as a computer science tech first founders i i cannot sleep actually thinking about next five years so this is a follow on conversation based on something you just told me offline that most newspaper articles talk of phone pay acquisition for wealth desk and open queue you just told me that open queue you are also the founder of open queue so tell me about that If you look at our business evolution when we started in 2016 and 2018 when we went live we started looking at managers who were creating these portfolios most of the managers were active style researchers in the sense they used to actively understand which stock to put in the portfolio and build the portfolio coming from my msci background where i've seen passive factor based or quant based or smart beta based portfolio tracking enormous lot what is this smart beta based cohort based what what do these words mean so yeah good so Technically, these are an active research time only. In the sense, when you say that this stock is a good quality stock, so you use quality as a so quality definitely has some mathematical understanding at the at the company level. Like, right? how do you identify a stock as a good quality stock? Or there, you know, this is some called value investing. This stock has a lot of value. Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah. Then there's this factor called momentum. Given momentum portfolios, there are a lot of well baskets on momentum. So momentum is a factor. So momentum, size, size, large cap, mid cap, small cap is a factor. Quality is a factor. Value is a factor. Dividend yield is a factor. These factors are nothing but active research styles which managers do on their own discretion can be modeled through academic research. Very well researched in developed markets where. you can identify how good quality factor can be created to identify the quality of a stock thousands of screening variables goes into these factors you backtest to build models which are called factor models or smart beta models so when these factors are models are created you run that on a stock universe these each stock has some score on a normalized distribution basis and using those scores you can create portfolio with a tail to quality with a tail to momentum with a tail to value the best part is the models are far more nuanced far more comprehensive because they are fully built on massive amount of data which has no local and bias no survivors in bias no fund manager bias nothing and it can track very actively because these are modeled into a rule based engines so they are like on a real time basis they are tracking that numbers very closely if you have the right data feeds when these research 
gets into these portfolios. So that we call it the smart beta web baskets, like a momentum quality. So th- this is like using machine learning principles, right? So you would... Yeah, so first principle is quantitative. Machine learning could be one of the other factors, but it is all quantitative statistical mm-hmm. models. So l- like, for example, you would see that in the last 10 years let's say page industries stock has done very well. And then there could be like, say, maybe 100 such stocks which have done well. And then you would have some data about these stocks. What kind of data? You said there are 30 data points. What kind of data? No, no. There are many data points around price, corporate actions, then fundamentals, earnings estimates. Corporate action, like what? Like, like whether this stock came in the news or whether there was some stock split a stock post is own journey for example if you want to understand on a factor how a stock has done well from let's say 2000 to 2022 you need to ensure these biases or corporate actions are also adjusted right because then you will not be able to have a right type series that is a very challenging problem to solve you can do apple to apple comparison if there's a stock split or so these are very challenging problem to solve in order to build a very systematic research based portfolios right some of the heavy lifting needs to be done at the data level to ensure look, no look-ahead bias, no survivorship bias. You can do a time series analysis. And then how do you get fundamentals? You said that data around fundamentals, like that would be on the balance sheet? Yeah, so there are companies which provide these data fields, right? Faxinative, Bloomberg. Earning personnel. Bloomberg, all these companies provide data. So they, they charge a large amount, they charge amount uh, fee uh, around these raw data fields. You feed this into your research cloud, ensure your all these biases are sorted out, and then you are in a situation where you can actually do real research from back testing point of view and all. So th- this basically will give you correlation that these factors correlate with stock price going up, and therefore you can continue to look at the universe of stocks and the model can then predict that the factors which in the past have been correlated to high price are present for these stocks. So it is highly probable that this universe of stocks price will go up because those factors are moving in that way. Something like that. Correct. So these are factor models. That's what we call as factor models. And the other interesting part is that you can merge different factors. Say, for example, you want to ride on momentum, but you want to stick to, let's say, quality stocks. So you weigh weigh on quality factor and momentum factor in some mechanism. So you can create very good portfolios and all systematic rule-based and passively invest in portfolios. Momentum is like basically saying that if a stock is going up, then it will continue to go up purely because of momentum. Because people see it going up, so it's like mob psychology that everyone sees it going up. GameStop is something like that. Like that would be a momentum. Correct. But in that, in India, especially if you add the low volatility factor, low volatility factor is like that. But the market goes up, you continue to ride on the momentum. But when market goes to a steep fall, it's not like yours will not go fall. It will fall. But you taper down that fall with volatility. You ensure that the volatility factor is minimized in your portfolio. So you can have that factor. When you mix both, you create a very good portfolio. So those things you can do very well, intelligently, completely. Like saying that a momentum stock is a stock which will continue to go up, but high quality momentum stock is a stock which when the market turns, it will not crash. Say GameStop was not a high quality stock, obviously. It will crash, but it will crash lesser. Uh, It will crash lesser. It will crash, it will crash lesser. When it crashes lesser, the recovery becomes faster. So you eventually, in the longer run cycle, you tend to outperform the market very well. So yeah, these are factors. So OpenQ, so 2018, we incubated OpenQ as one of the managers on our platform, where the focus was very simple. Then as a manager, you bring these research styles into Indian stock portfolio universe for the broking community, because most of the 99% managers are focusing on active stock picking, bottom-up analysis bringing quantitative smart beta factor and these research mechanism into Indian retail community. So that was the thesis. OpenU came out in 2018 to 2020. They first went live with their first portfolio. Two, three years went into the heavy lifting of data cleaner, building the right research cloud to cover with this kind of portfolio. So I founded that with the same business that as a platform, can we bring in these in emerging research time segment into Indian markets. So that was the thesis. And what happened in 22 when when we when PhonePay back vendors, so eventually then open you also get acquired by PhonePay and as the advisory business got acquired by them. And like you incubated as in you found a few people whom you got on as co-founders and you were the you had the biggest stake. Yeah so Deep Bhoti who is an ex MSCI was doing this for global market before that with Deutsche Bank in global markets. I got to join this as a strategy founder and 
founding team member to build this business and independently built this business and, and we supported that through vendors platforms here in this up and so okay connectively you would have the majority stake uh, in both these businesses like maybe 60 70% is yours or something like that yeah so in vendors you've not diluted much right yeah so i've been a yeah, majority shareholder yeah. amazing okay cool so are you like now planning to become an angel investor because you have obviously got a lot of cash from this deal <laughs> Yeah, I am actually actively investing, not actively investing in very selective companies. I was started in the sectors which I like. And what kind of companies and sectors are you investing in? For, I like drone tech, I like SaaS businesses, and I like heavy lifting infrastructure tech companies and all. like Heavy lifting infrastructure tech, what does that mean? Which means that we're trying to solve tech-led long-term problems. Like, for example, wellness is a long-term problem, right? Which we solved for over years. So, which is not like you'll see uh, an outcome immediately. But because I I ran through the went through that journey, so any founders solving those challenging long-term problems it's sometimes boring also in the shorter reps. Like a web two to web three or those kind of. That's a great 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 out. Like you could got it right, yeah. So those kind of. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at thepodium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.